0: You've seen the movies. But you haven't read the comics? What? You think the comics are inaccessible? That's Steve Vincent. That's Paul Schultz. And we've got issues. This week is God Loves Man Kills, the X Men graphic novel. Marvel Comics graphic novel number five. For me, it was like one of those movies that you go, you're just, you get your popcorn, you get your drink, you sit down and you're just like i'm here i'm seeing it at the theater for the effects uh-huh. and it's just going to be it's going to hand me a big huge entertainment juicy entertainment sandwich right uh-huh. it's like i don't care if it's good for me i don't care <laughs> if it makes me think i don't care if it like i walk out of the theater feeling smarter or better or you know better for having watched it I just want to go and sit back and be entertained. Mm-hmm. That's what this one was for me. It's a page turner. <laughs> no, it is. It's just like you want to see what happens next. But I didn't get, and it could just be you know, state of mind, because every time I read a book, I am in a certain state of mind in yeah. my life, and I always, I can't separate my state of mind from the book. So it could just be my my moment in life where <laughs> I am right now, you know? as we record this it's quarantine mm. we're two months into the quarantine of 2020 <laughs> i've lost count it, it's like it is it's today is may 1st 2020 you know i know this is a timeless show that we're doing here but mm-hmm. just so everybody gets some context of my state of mind as i was reading this thing but i enjoyed it it was a great escape mm-hmm. what i'm looking forward to and talking about it with you though is that you're going to fill me in on how it fits into the bigger picture i, I have some Ideas and I have some clues as to how it fits into the bigger picture, but it didn't grab me like Wolverine did. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It didn't grab me in that way. It grabbed me in a, this is really freaking entertaining. Mm -hmm. And this is like watching a movie. And to me, it almost was like, This probably inspired somebody to go, we got to make a movie out of this, you know? Well, it's funny you would say that
1: because the main reason why I chose God Loves, Man Kills for this series is because it's the basis for the second X-Men movie. Ah, But I picked it because of that, because, you know, we've talked about the movies in the past. And I also picked it for the fact that it's extremely grounded in reality. Mm. You really don't need to know too much about the X-Men to read it because, one, the art style is kind of realistic. It downplays the grandeur of superpowers. Yeah. So it makes it a little more realistic. The size of the thing allows for a lot more story than if it was like a two or three issue. Remember how when we did Iron Man, Michelini had to sneak in little bits and pieces of the big story? Yeah. This is just, here it is, the whole story from start to finish. Yeah. And the funny thing is, one of the other tie-ins to this book and the rest of the ones we've been doing is, initially, it was supposed to be drawn by Neil Adams. And Neil Adams, of course, was the artist for the Green Lantern story we did, and he was the artist for the Batman story that we've done.
0: In case you don't know, I'm I'm sure most of you do know, but in case you didn't know, X-Men, the origin of their powers is always, they are a mutant. And so they've had some sort of mutation, you know, human evolution is moving forward. They've had some sort of mutation and their mutation gives them superhuman powers. And... I mean, that was Wolverine's, the source of Wolverine's power, like we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. There were a few earlier episodes where we talked about uh, some members of the X-Men. The X-Men universe is basically, think of it as uh, you get your powers because you're born uh, with some sort of gene mutation. Mm -hmm. And there turns out that not everyone is a fan (laughs) of this idea. Very few people are fans of the idea. You know, there are a lot of people who are, you know, through fear of losing their station in life mm-hmm. because you know, they're used to being in charge of the world and they're used to having most of the power in the world. And so this other race or not even another race, but just these, listen to me, listen to me. I'm an anti mutant, mutant <laughs> calling them another race. No, this other, you know, these mutations happen and these other people come along who have other powers and it threatens your balance of power. And, uh, you know, you do what, humans have done throughout history uh-huh. and you villainize them you know you you make them the bad guy and you try to rally people against them the great thing and so we've talked about that on on prior episodes about the you know the anti-mutant crowd uh-huh. but the thing that i think and i think it hit me as you were talking there and why you chose this one the thing that makes this one like we've talked about how did we get here from there uh-huh. how did comics become so accessible and how can they be so accessible Well, this one, as you said toward the beginning, you don't need the backstory. You don't need to know the origin of all these guys. All you need to know is they're mutants. Yeah. And this one actually reaches out and grabs you from the very beginning Mm -hmm. because these two kids, and they're just kids, right? Eight and ten years old or something like that. They're like pre -pre Mm preteens. get attacked on a playground, and then you think, well, somebody's going to come save them and they're are are they going to get away or something's going to happen nope right they're hanged from the swing set yep by these anti-mutant people Tur- turns out these kids are mutants with the m-word emblazoned across their chest oh
1: yeah muty. the other reason why i chose this story when you you were talking about being replaced hmm. x-men has always been relevant but the relevancy of this story really it's there. It's, yeah. it, you see, it, unfortunately, and even though we're trying to make a timeless series, let's face it,
0: the relevancy of this story is pretty timeless. Well, dude, racism is timeless, All right. Yeah, pretty much. I'm pretty sure 18 years from now, when somebody's listening to this, they'll be like, yeah, that's like what's happening now. Right. Against the fill-in-the-blank
1: people. Back when we did the Giant Size X-Men number one, you, I wanted to do that episode in particular because I wanted to show how far in like 10 years comics have had evolved mm. because it went from this you know high adventure type story in colorful costumes fighting fighting a giant island yeah to severely grounded in reality but yet still a fantasy which was something that happened about the time of this issue where comics really started to come down earth
0: there is a, a scene toward the beginning where someone is picking on one of the one of the X-Men, uh, for being a mutant. I know where this is going. And, you know, she just can, she's just, it's all she can do to to resist using her powers to put this guy in his place and shut his smug face up, right? hmm And she actually does lose a little bit of control. And then one of her mentors, I think. Her, her ballet a, teacher, yes. Comes out and is like, scolds her. Her ballet teacher happens to be African-American and she's like, "Well, what if they'd called you like the n-word?" They're just words.
1: "Well, what if he would have called me the n-word lover?" Right. Another callback to the uh the giant Size X-Men story was I told you I'm like we we we'd been talking for a long time about the 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 hokey dialogue in comics. That all changed
0: with graphic Marvel
1: Graphic Novel
0: number 5. It is not hokey dialogue, man. Like I said, it's like movie dialogue. It's yeah. like this could be a screenplay, you know. If
1: down the line you end up reading some more of his X-Men run, he is the king of dialogue.
0: His dialogue cracks mm. like a whip. Did you use that simile on purpose? <laughs> no. No, I did not. <laughs> so you go from the, it's, it's great because they, they do that. And then another awesome scene, which really is sort of apropos of nothing, but it reminds you of a movie uh-huh. in in the way that they go, you know, like, like how movies open, they'll have some shocking scene, they'll like pull you in, then they'll have some foreshadowing like set the tone mm-hmm. sort of scene, like with the with the the racial overtones. They introduce you to the Bible thumping anti mutant guy mm-hmm. and you find out that the people that killed the kids in the beginning work for this guy and he has some ulterior motive yep. which is has nothing to do with his religion, but it has everything to do with him be wanting to lead the anti-mutant you know so-called resistance you know and lead all of the snowflakes yeah what i would call snowflakes like the you know old white dude brigade is like we're afraid somebody's gonna take our power away from us so we're gonna be you know you said it's a sign of the times it's what's been happening in in the united states for a long long time (laughs) since
1: the history of the united states
0: the way some people get and hold on to power is by creating a a fear of the others Mm -hmm. and what the others are going to do is they're going to take away what you have. Yeah. And so when you look at, when you look at people who don't have much, Mm -hmm. you know, like poor, poor white people in the South or in Appalachia or, you know, wherever out West or wherever. um, And you go, Well, they don't have much already how can i create a fear of them losing something well you can create a fear of them losing what little they have right yes by pointing to the others and so that's what this guy striker's doing Mm -hmm. is he's basically saying the the reign of humanity is over if we let these people have what they want yep and he uses of course then he uses things that they already believe in like the bible Mm -hmm. to you know to sort of sort of bolster his power So then you go from that and then you do this other thing, you know, that movies do, which is you have this action scene. Mm -hmm. It doesn't move the plot forward, but it lets you know who these characters are, gives you an idea of what their powers are. So they're in this training room, right? And they set up this training simulation and you get to see what their powers are. You get to see like what they're made of. And and it's just an exciting thing that you get to watch. And while that's all going on, Professor X is kidnapped along with a couple of his, what are they, bodyguards?
1: Yeah, it's Cyclops and Storm, yes. It's
0: hard for a noob like me to, to get that these are the same characters that I already know, because they're dressed different, they look different. They... It's like we talked last week, last episode about, or no, a couple episodes ago during the Iron Man one, I was like, Iron Man looks like Tom <laughs> Selleck meets Clark Gable, you know? It's yes. like, oh, because that's what, like, the mustache and the hair mm-hmm. is what the coolest guy of that time looked like. You know? Yeah. So it's hard for me to keep up when we jump decades. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Cyclops and Storm. I remember them from a previous episode. That's not what they looked like. Well, that's why I'm here. Thank you. So they all get kidnapped by Stryker and his Bible-thumping henchmen. Mm Mm-hmm. At least one of which is a mutant. Uh, Unbeknownst to her. She doesn't know she's a mutant? She doesn't know
1: she's a mutant to the very end.
0: Yeah, so they get kidnapped and now Stryker, bible thumper guy is going to try to turn professor x by using torture techniques from like the 25th century or something because he's got (laughs) these weird sensory deprivation like probes going in all that sort of stuff
1: comic book science
0: what's he doing trying to turn professor x so that he can get the x-men on his side what what exactly is the i didn't quite pick up on that
1: he wants to use Professor X to use his powers to basically destroy mutants by frying their brains. Ah, okay. So he's trying. So he uses all that brainwashing to make him think of the X Men as nothing more than monsters, and he's, that way. He's willing to destroy them without without thinking about it.
0: So he's trying to build an anti-mutant super weapon. Yes. It'd be like if uh, David Duke kidnapped Malcolm X <laughs> and uh, got Malcolm X to kill all of his black brothers.
1: Yes. Essentially, yes.
0: So, of course, the X-Men are going to rescue Professor X, right? hmm But they kind of walk into a, a trap. Yeah. But they overcome the trap. Stop me if I'm skipping over some important stuff here. Mm, you're doing just fine. But then... Right as they're about to be like walk into the trap and get captured, one of their enemies, Magneto, shows up. <laughs> their their biggest enemy shows up. Yeah, so it's like the the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And it reminded me of this weird story from the Cold War. Mm-hmm. And toward the end of the Cold War, uh, the president of the United States was was Ronald Reagan, and the premier of the Soviet Union was Mikhail Gorbachev, and they were at this. Summit in Geneva, Switzerland, and which is always like that's where they have the like that's the neutral place, right? Mm -hmm. Like that has some sort of anti nuclear shield over it (laughs) or something. Anyway, as it turns out, Ronald Reagan was a big science fiction fan. Mm. I don't know if anybody knows that, you know, regardless of whatever else you might think about him, he was a science fiction fan, probably Robert Heinlein, you know. (laughs) But (laughs) (laughs) so they're at this summit, and things aren't really going well, it's kind of tense, you know. Uh, They're not really getting anywhere. This is like 1985. Uh, To give you some perspective, Red Dawn came out like just a year or two before this, right? Yep. (laughs) So it's not like we were all thinking within five years this, this would all be over, right? It was a tense time. And then at one point, they're just like, let's just take a break. So they take a break and the two guys, Reagan and Gorbachev, just like take a walk next to the lake. And it's just the two of them and their interpreters. And nobody knows what they talk about. The interpreters, of course, are sworn to silence. Mm-hmm. These two guys, of course, aren't telling. It wasn't until like 2009. It was Gorbachev and the Secretary of State at the time, George Schultz, were being interviewed. No relation. And Schultz is talking about the summit. And he's like, and then the two leaders, you know, they duck out of a meeting, take a walk to a nearby cabin. The interviewer's like, well, what did they talk about? And Schultz is like, I don't know. I wasn't there. And Gorbachev cuts him off. Gorbachev is like, uh, well, President Reagan suddenly says to me, what would you do if the United States were suddenly attacked by someone from outer space? <laughs> Reagan's like, uh, would you help us? And Gorbachev just looks at him and says, Yeah. No doubt about it. And Reagan's like, yeah, we would too. And from that moment on, from when they got back from their walk, like nobody knew what they talked about. Right. But everybody's like, whatever they talked about, they had some sort of breakthrough because from that moment on, they were like best friends. Right. Yeah. And they were like bending over backwards to accommodate each other. It's like Magneto. He's like, well, yeah, you've got the, this Bible thumper guy wants to wipe out our race. Mm -hmm. If he succeeds in getting professor X to, you know, turn, and gets to use him as a weapon, we're, I'm dead too, right? Right. <laughs> so, of course, I'm going to come help you.
1: Also, you got to remember Magneto was an Auschwitz survivor. He's already
0: seen man's capability. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyway, uh, Magneto helps the X Men go to the big Bible Thumper convention, uh, take out the bad guy, and everything. You know, everybody lives ha- happily ever after. Mm-hmm. So, that was my take. On this one again, I would say here's how here's where I'd put this one, man. I would say if you're like thinking about comics and you're like, I don't know, should I read comics? Like it's that question that that people maybe ask on Facebook sometimes. Like if I wanted to just read a comic book just to see if I like it, what would you recommend? I'd go start with this one. It may not be the most profound. It may not give you the most like background of how superheroes came into being or anything, but it reads the most like a movie. Of anything we've done so far
1: god loves man kills is the first thing i wrote down when i started making a list but I, we needed context on both sides of the story the other thing about this story though is just how close Professor X came to joining Magneto because Magneto's prime motive is to is the survival of the mutant race mm. at the expense of anybody that gets in his way. You know, we, we talked about this during the giant size X-Men episode. Professor X is Martin Luther King. Yeah. Magneto Malcolm X. Malcolm X. Yep. And he almost bought into it until the very end when he realized that, you know,
0: his dream is worth fighting for. It's a great story, man. So, graphic novel number five. Yep, Marvel graphic novel number five. So, you know, we've read collections, right, of comic books. Like, they, they'll reprint and, like, package them all up into, like, a, this group of five comic books or whatever. Mm-hmm. We've read single comic books, and now we've got this graphic novel. We've read at least one graphic novel. Like, what's the difference between a graphic novel and a comic book? Well, you pretty
1: much answered your own question. The term got popular in the, the mid 90s when comic book shops shot up everywhere like mushrooms overnight and more people were reading them that didn't normally read comics because there was a whole, there was a lot of titles coming out that were they weren't superhero titles they were like supernatural type stories and real life type stories and people that didn't read comics their entire life didn't like calling them comic books so some diabolical genius decided the best way to market them to these 90s hipsters is to call them graphic novels. Because while they tell a story, they tell a story in pictures, which is the dictionary definition of a comic book. So that term caught on like wildfire amongst the... Okay, you know how like in sports you have your diehards and your fairweathers? Well, the fairweathers of comics clamped on to the graphic novel title
0: i thought it was just like if i close my eyes and raise my eyebrows and call it a graphic novel it makes me sound smarter
1: that's exactly why the hipster crowd in the 90s started calling them graphic novels
0: (laughs) (laughs) you've been listening to we've got issues we've got issues is written and produced by paul schultz and steve vinson copyright big broccoli studios music by eric fulmer For more by Big Broccoli Studios, go to www.bigbroccolistudios.com.